service this morning simply or this afternoon to proclaim the gospel. Jesus. Is that okay? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, for the Pharisees, it was all about who's in, who's out, who's acceptable and unacceptable, who's good enough, who's not good enough. And here was Jesus now spending time with people who they considered to be out, people who were unacceptable, and people who in their eyes were not good enough. Jesus came and ate with those people. So in the midst of this, he tells three stories to illustrate why he was doing what he was doing which to me sums up the essence of the good news. First one is this, the lost, story of the lost sheep. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So the first thing about the gospel is this. Jesus comes to where we are. He, as a good shepherd, went to where the lost sheep was. He didn't stay back with the 99. He went to that place. I um, love John chapter 1. It's one of the first portions of the scriptures that I memorized growing up. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came to us. He came to where we were. He came among us. Took on flesh, became like us. And throughout Scripture, we see God always taking the initiative and coming to where we are. God came to Adam and Eve in the garden. God came to Abraham in his idol worship. God came to Isaac. God came to Jacob. God came to Moses. God came to Samuel. God came to Mary in Luke chapter 1. God took the initiative and came to where we were. That's the good news. I am in my role as one of the presidents of the Church Together in England, got an invite to the Queen's 90th birthday celebration at St. Paul's Cathedral. 
And so I got a letter from the Lord Lieutenant, or whatever he's called, and inviting me to come to this special day at this special time. I checked my diary, and the problem was I had a meeting arranged that day. So I called Buckingham Palace and said, excuse me, thanks for the invitation, but I've got a prearranged meeting. Could the Queen please move her date so I can make it? What do you think the response was? I then said, okay, so um, what about moving it, keep it the same, but moving it closer to Southampton so I can do my meeting and then come on to the celebration? It's not going to happen. I had to cancel my meeting. I had to go to where she was. But here is Jesus, King of Kings, King of Queens, King of Presidents, comes to us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Normally the person with the power, we have to go to them. But God comes to us. This is the good news. He comes to us into our pet mess, into our pain, into our chaos, into our rebellion, into our self-centeredness, into our helplessness and hopeless state. He comes to us. He comes to where we are. He's always done that. And it's what he does for each one of us here. He comes to us. It's amazing. The lost sheep. Then he tells a story about a lost coin. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I do find it interesting that, that uh, Jesus d- describes, it's a woman who searches for the lost coin. I think women have an ability to find things that men can't. You know, I'll say to my wife, honey, where are the keys? She'll say, in the top drawer in the kitchen. I'll go to the top drawer in the kitchen. There are no keys there. I'll say, honey, there are no keys in the top drawer in the kitchen. Yes, there are. Can you come and find them for me? She comes down, opens the drawer, and between the time that I looked and the time that she looked, someone has placed the keys in the top drawer. Who can relate to that? So Jesus doesn't say, a man has 10 silver coins and loses one, and he gets a lamp. No, no, no. A woman gets the lamp out. Because she'll find it. Sweeps, sweeps the place clean, turns everything upside down, and she finds the coin. The good news is this. God comes to where we are, and he searches for us. He seeks after us. He's not just like ambivalent. He's not just like take it or leave it. He is in hot pursuit of us because he loves us. You know, in some ways, a coin, unless it's a two-pound coin, 
you know, if you lose it, it's no big deal. You know, it's a five pence piece or a ten pence piece. But, you know, this woman was intent on finding it. Even though it was insignificant, really. You know, Paul says, think about it. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were were noble, not many of you were influential. In some ways, from the world's point of view, most of us are probably overlooked. But this woman searched intently to find it. That's how God treats us. That's how God sees us. He's not passive. He'll come looking until he finds us. He'll turn the house upside down. He'll welcome us home, accept us back. What God does. That's the good news. That's the gospel that we proclaim. He comes to where we are. He searches for us. Tell the third story. This time it's about a lost son or some people say lost sons. Here we read these words. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and ran to him. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer willing to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and said, What's going on? Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But his father answered, Look, all of these years, I, but he asked his father, all of these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. That you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Here the Pharisees who are muttering and complaining that Jesus is eating with sinners and he's talking about them. 
being like this older son, not being able to rejoice because people who were lost are being found. People who were out are now in. People who were unacceptable are now acceptable. People who were not good enough are now good enough. That's what he's talking about here. But this is the way that God treats us. He comes to us. He searches intently for us. And he saves us like the son was saved. Now, I, I, am, I hope I'm a pretty good father. Like with three children, one grandson, two, two grandchildren on the way. So, you know, our family is blossoming and growing. It's great. I, 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 I hope I'm a good father and a good, good grandfather. Ask my kids if you get a chance to. Um, I think I'm quite a reasonable father. So, if this had been me, I've, my, my son has spent like everything I was going to give him in my inheritance, and he, and he comes home. I would have said, just treat me as a servant, Dad. I would say, okay, will do. <laughs> Welcome home, son. I would have embraced him. I probably would have killed the fattened calf. I would have kept that for Christmas, whatever else, but... Yeah, come in. So I think it's reasonable to say, come back home. But listen, you spent a lot of money. So I reckon it's about seven years worth of of income. So for the next seven years, you can work for nothing for me. And then that's reasonable, isn't it? That's still loving and kind. That's what I would have done. I probably have done that to my kids, you know, when they've done something stupid. Just so you learn your lesson. Who's ever said that? So you won't do it again, you know? They've got to learn. The father representing God doesn't do that. It's unreasonable. It's reckless. But it's what he does. He saves him from the squalor of the pigsty. And he gives him a robe, a ring, some sandals, and a party. Unreasonable. And when we come, when we respond to God, he saves us. You know, when we were dead in our transgressions and our sins, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He made us alive. And he saves us from the squalor. He saves us from ourselves. He saves us from the consequences of our selfish actions. What Paul calls our transgressions, what the Bible calls our sin the stuff that we do because of our self-centeredness, because of our need to protect ourselves or make ourselves feel good about ourselves. We fall short of the standards that we were created to live by. We worship things. They become idols in our lives. We become obsessed with acquiring more stuff, being number one. We don't love our neighbors as we should, as we love ourselves. We lust after things that we can't have. 
We treat others unjustly. We allow anger and hatred to consume us. We fail. We mess up. We miss the mark. We sin. And if we keep doing those things, the Bible tells us it leads to death, not life. We don't flourish. We wither. And Jesus saves us from this inevitable pathway that leads to death. That's good news. We're saved. We don't have to be feeding the pigs. We don't have to die there. We are saved from this stuff. We're saved from something. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. Separation from God. But we're also saved for some stuff. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. There's stuff that God has called us to do. Things that God has prepared in advance for us. Someone that God has created us to be. Saved in order that we can become that person. That's what we have been saved for. Each one of us with a unique calling, a unique gift set, a unique purpose in this life. We're saved for that. Just like this son was brought back into the house, given the robe of a, of, and uh, the ring and the sandals, marks of authority and position to be able to be the person that God had created him to be. God has taken the initiative. Because of his great mercy, because of his great love, he has come to where we are. He has searched intently for us. And he has saved us. This is the good news that we proclaim today. It wasn't just good news for the people back in these days, but because Jesus has died and is now resurrected, it's good news today. All of us can receive this gift. And it is a gift. Our grandson turned two um, a number of weeks ago. He doesn't really know it's his birthday. He has no idea that this day is coming up. He doesn't understand when we say how old are you? He didn't understand that concept. And we have bought a gift to give to him. He's not expecting it. You know, give it a few years, they'll be expecting it. <laughs> they'll be disappointed when it's not what they wanted. But at the moment, he has no idea, no concept of this birthday thing. It's a gift that we as grandparents and his parents are choosing to give to him. All he has to do on the day is to receive it. And being that age, he's more interested in the cardboard box and the paper than the actual toy. But there you go. You know, it's all given. And this gift that God gives to us, this gift of salvation, we just receive it. And the enemy has blinded people's eyes. 
blinded their minds to portray God as this demanding and exacting tyrant in the sky. That life living God's way is not really a good way to live. It's how he confuses people. There's more excitement and more things on offer if we live this way. Not in line with God's ways, but a God who is love promises us life in all its fullness. Not saying everything's going to be perfect all of the time, but God with us. God alongside us. The God who comes to us stays with us. Sometimes we we want to be airlifted out of a situation, but God puts his parachute on and comes alongside us into our chaos, into our challenge, into our mess, to be with us there. When we turn away, he searches after us to woo us, draw us back. The psalmist said, wherever I go, you're there. Even in the darkest place, you're there. I can't get away from you. My eldest son isn't walking with the Lord right now, but everywhere he goes, he meets Christians. In, in nightclubs and in workplaces, they're all over the place. He's just down and met another one. Why? He, God is in pursuit. <laughs> and he saves us. He changes us. He gives us a fresh start. It's like, it's like being born again. That's the gospel. That's the good news that I want to proclaim to you again this Easter time. And I want to leave you to apply that to your lives. Normally I would spend the next 15 minutes saying to you, what you got? no, you, 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 you work it out. I proclaim the good news. What does that mean for you? What does it mean for the way that we work, for our mission, for the way that we co-work with Jesus today. What does that mean? How do we do that? But we've sung God is good. We've, we've read the gospel. God is good. We've proclaimed with our words as a good shepherd, as a diligent woman searching as a Good, good father. That's who God is. With us, searching for us, and saving us. It's good news, huh? It's good news. Let's pray. Father, I want to just thank you for this gospel that is as relevant today in our context and our culture as it was 2,000 years ago. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and laid down your life for us. As you came to where we were, as you searched for us, as you saved us, and you laid down your life with death on a cross. And Father God, you raised Jesus from the dead, that today he's alive and living and able to in, in, invade our hearts and our lives and bring strength and power to us, to enable us to live the lives you called us to live. 
And so, Lord, we declare the good news of Jesus. We say we love you, Lord, and want you to fill our hearts and our lives and our churches and our families and our neighborhoods and our communities. Lord, that more and more, Lord, the truth of who you are would be seen in us and through us, I pray. That the way the enemy has blinded the minds of those around us, Lord, that increasingly the light of your gospel would shine bright. And people would see you for who you really are, Lord, through our lives, through, the, through our deeds, through our proclamation, I pray. That we thank you and we bless you. Let this gospel that has the power to transform lives and change communities, Lord, let it be released more and more in these days, I pray. Uh, in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you all.